Welcome to Body Signals, a Cygnos podcast. I'm your host, Bill Tanser, Chief Data Scientist here at Cygnos. This is Season 3, Episode 6. On today's show, we have the pleasure of speaking with registered dietitian and exercise physiologist Jenny Askew. Today, we'll be talking about the importance of balancing micronutrients for blood sugar control and weight loss, how to address a sweet tooth, including a mini therapy session with yours truly, the difference between food allergies, sensitivities, and tolerances, plus an added bonus. Alyssa and I will take Jenny through a lightning round of thumbs up, thumbs down on the latest TikTok weight loss trends. Now on to today's show. signals. Before I introduce our special guest, I just want to let you know that we have a special guest co-host, Alyssa Wilson, who most of you will know. She is a metabolic coach at Cygnos, and uh, we're excited to have her. So Alyssa, welcome to Body Signals. Thank you. I'm so excited to co-host with you today. Yes, especially because we have such a great guest. We have Jenny Askew. And Jenny's a registered and licensed dietitian and a certified exercise physiologist. She's got more letters after her name than I've seen (laughs) anywhere. MS, RD, LD, ACSM, EP, CLT. Um, Quite impressive in terms of almost getting every letter of the alphabet. Uh, She's an active member of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. She is also a member of the Integrative and Functional Nutrition Dietetics Practice Group and a nutritional entrepreneur. Um, She's part of the Nutrition Entrepreneurs Dietetic Practice Group, and she also is a past vice president of the Georgia Dietetics Foundation. If that wasn't enough, she has her own practice, and she is the founder and CEO of the Nutrition Clinic for Digestive Health. So, Jenny, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We're so excited to have you, and I wanted to start off by just asking, and this is a question I ask a lot of our guests, what drew you to uh, dietetics and nutrition and exercise physiology? You seem so passionate about it in the pre-interview. I just wanted to get a sense of of why you chose to pursue this particular field. Yeah. um, I kind of started off in college, and I was like, the only thing that I knew I did not want to do was be stuck at a desk all day. And I've always known that I like really loved exercising. So I was like, well, between the two of those things, like it was just exercise has just always been something that I've like needed and my body has craved and I can get a really clear before and after. I always feel so much better after. Um, It's just always been a, a really helpful part of my life. And I, it just, it felt like a good fit. Um, I wanted to be like active during the day doing something. I I knew I hated being stuck sitting down all day. So I thought I would go into um, personal training and maybe make that a career. Um, And I started doing that and really quickly realized it wasn't much of a, there wasn't a whole lot of a career path. It was kind of like, you know, you could only do so much and then it felt like you were going to be stuck. And I hate being stuck. Um, So I said, well, why don't I throw in some nutrition credentials and go back and get some education with that? I had a lot of people, I was working at a gym and people were always asking for nutrition advice and I just didn't feel qualified giving it because I knew I wasn't a registered dietitian. And, you know, when you have an education in exercise science, 
they really do hone in on your scope of practice and, you know, who should be giving nutrition advice and who shouldn't and, you know, where your limits are. So I really understood that. So I went back to school so that I felt like I could be really, really helpful, right, on both ends, the exercise and the diet piece. Um, So I started doing that, and then I had a family member who was getting sicker by the day, and no one could figure out what was going on with him. And um, I was in graduate school at the time studying nutrition, and um, one of my classmates had psoriasis, and it went away um, when she started following the special diet. So I was like, well, if the psoriasis helped her diet, maybe it can help my family member. He was having this really bad acid reflux. Like, he couldn't even sit down to eat. And it was spiraling, kind of leading to, like, panic attacks. So anytime this person would sit down to eat and start having the acid reflux, they would then have a panic attack. And the really bad thing about that is you have to eat and you have to do it multiple times a day. I mean, it was, it was really getting crazy and it was just like prescription after prescription. The GI doctors really weren't that helpful. So <laughs> kind of started um, leading my path towards integrative and functional nutrition because what we did was we went and had this blood work done that helped him identify that he was really sensitive to wheat and a bunch of other things that he was eating all the time. Um, and when we took those things out of his diet, his acid reflux went away. He was able to come off of anxiety medicine. I mean, this was like a six-month process, but we got it to where he didn't need to be medicated. It, it wasn't a, a problem that medication had to solve. It was a lifestyle and diet issue, and we were able to work with his body and his needs and really fix that. Um, and, I mean... Now, that was 2010, so 12 years ago. Um, He's really been able to maintain, and we realized um, celiac disease does run in the family. Um, So there's that. Like, he did have, um, I guess, long story short, we think it was probably, he probably has celiac disease and never realized it. Um, But, yeah, so kind of that experience, I was like, whoa, like, we weren't even being taught that in school. Um, so that really kind of led me towards integrative and functional stuff. And then, um, after graduate school, when I opened my practice, I started using, um, the blood work that we had used, um, with this family members, the MRT test, um, and practice. And there was such demand for it. People were seeking me out, asking if they could have the blood work done because the reputation of the, the blood test and the accuracy of it is so good. So I really started my practice with that blood test. Um, that was like a, a big thing. Um, and then when you're doing something like that, so like, let's say somebody has food sensitivities. The real question behind that is why do they have them? <laughs> so then that led me down the path of really furthering my education and my abilities and functional nutrition beyond just food sensitivities and food sensitivity testing, but like, you know, why do they have food sensitivities? What's actually going on inside the body that's making it in such a hypervigilant state that this person can't tolerate something that's actually not harmful? Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I actually do um, 
I kind of understand that story. I had acid reflux. Probably when I was at my heaviest, I had a problem with acid reflux. And I remember actually eating at night as a way of pushing down the acid and being Mm -hmm. able to get some sleep. So I know how challenging that can be. And it's so inspiring that you were able to help given your your education. I also love that you're both an exercise physiologist and a dietitian. Question for you. If someone's on a weight loss journey... What's more important, the diet portion or the exercise portion? And you're not allowed um, to say both. I you would give say us percentages. Diet, 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 diet. Wouldn't you, Alyssa? Yeah. Yeah. Give what? You I can't both are important. Probably not what Bill wants to hear. But nutrition <laughs> is so important. You cannot out-exercise you know, what you're eating. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. You can't outrun a bad diet. I feel like I've heard of people say that a thousand times. And it's yeah. true. You can't. You, you can't. Exercise, 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 and then eat, you know, whatever you want and expect the weight to come off. I'm going to vote for diet as well. I was just, I just wanted to get that in there (laughs) Uh, because that is my own experience as well. But I know you're both kind of itching to say this is that you don't want to just start a weight loss journey diet alone. That exercise, and I'm sure Jenny, being an exercise physiologist, you would agree with this more than anyone. Exercise really should be an integral part of any wellness journey. Yeah. And I would say if you're starting, you know, maybe just pick one, right? Like I, I wouldn't want someone to not start because they felt like they had to do both at, at the same time, like eventually do both. But, you know, it's just making small changes, like little things at one at a time is super helpful and less overwhelming. What is your exercise of choice? What What does your day look like in terms of working out? It really depends on my season of life. So okay. right now I have two small kids. We have a one-year-old who's almost two and a five-year-old. Um, so I'm really into anything that's like calm and allows me to just like have a complete thought in my head. I was going to say just running after them probably is exercise in and right. of itself. <laughs> yeah. So right now I'm really into walking maybe for about an hour. Um, whenever I can sneak it in, it's usually while my little one is napping. So if I can get her in the stroller at, before she falls asleep and I mean, it's just a whole, a whole thing. Um, but yeah, right now it's walking and yoga. Um, once they're a little bit bigger, like I really crave running, um, and I really like harder workouts. So I'll probably get into, um, you know, some sort of like CrossFit type thing, um, and, and running a few times a week. Um, but yeah, my body right now is just like, you know, it just, it just wants to walk. It just wants like quiet and peace and and calm whenever you can get it. We talked about this in our last episode and this idea of habit stacking that choosing walking as an exercise actually can have multiple purposes. And it sounds like that's true for you, that it's not just exercise. It also can be meditative. It can be calming. It's something that uh, might lead to some stress reduction. So, yeah, yeah, just a great thing to do. And, and there's some recent research out about walking after meals and just how beneficial that is. Yeah. So, Alyssa, how about you? Exercise of choice. You know, it's so funny. Jenny and I are so in line with our nutrition philosophy and with our stage of life. I, too, have a five. <laughs> our kids are, like, not even a month apart. They're a few weeks apart, I think. And then um, I have a one-year-old, too. So, Right now, my choice of exercise is walking. And just like Jenny, the one-hour walk, that's something that I just 
really enjoy. And like, I feel like that is a good exercise for me at this time. And I feel good doing it. Um, I'm slowly starting to incorporate some strength training back in. Um, but like taking it very, you know, just small, small steps, you know, 15 minutes Peloton strength training here and there. Um, but yeah, I like getting, getting outside, getting some fresh air, getting some sunlight and just and moving. Yeah, absolutely. So Jenny, uh, let's say someone comes to your clinic and their, their goal is, is weight loss is the primary goal. How would you approach that individual? What, what would you start talking about or what kind of tests would you be looking at to help them on their journey of weight loss and general wellness? Yeah. So everything is so customized because everyone is so different. Um, but we start with the very basics first and at our clinic, that's what are you eating? Are you eating actual food? Because most people aren't, I mean, there's a lot of people eating highly processed foods that, I mean, it's, we eat so the average American eats so far from the actual food chain that it is just alarming. I mean, if you go into like a, a regular grocery store, like a, I hear we have like Publix or, um, I don't know, back at home we had Food Lion. I, I don't know if that would be the Kroger. I don't know what would be the equivalent of Publix back home. But anyways, um, most of the stuff on the aisles isn't like from plants or animals. It's made in a, a factory. It's not actual food. It's crazy. Um, so we get them eating actual food, right? A real food diet. Um, we focus really hard on protein intake. Um, the latest recommendations I've heard on that are, um, you know, 1.2 grams per kilogram or even up to, and I think this would be hard to hit, but I was just reading it this week. Um, the equivalent of whatever your goal weight is eating that many grams of protein per day, which is would be wow. a ton of protein for most people. But I is think that, the, does that apply to men and women? Um, this was specifically women. So, okay. so maybe I'm not that would sure. be a lot, I would think, for, for me. <laughs> I mean, I think it's <laughs> a lot for women too. I was like, yeah. wow, yeah, you wouldn't have room for anything else. Um, but yeah, so like 1.2 probably would be a good goal, I think more reasonable. Um, what we're taught in, in uh, school when we study dietetics is 0.8 grams per kilogram. So that's much lower. Um, so we're really looking at protein being higher than that. Um, you know, we're looking at healthy fats. Um, we're kind of minimizing carbohydrate intake. Um, we're looking at medical history. Uh, we focus on GI health. So we're always asking about bowel movements. Um, we're looking for things like bloating, gas, things like that, where anything where we could correct imbalances. Um, we recommend probiotics to everyone because everyone probably really does need them. Um, and then we think about nutrient status, right? Um, because that impacts hormonal health. It impacts the thyroid. Um, it affects your body's ability to make and to use insulin. All of these things, if they're not, if you don't have sufficient nutrients, the other systems in your body aren't going to work. So it's really kind of a, um, an underlying thing that like has to be addressed, you know, looking at nutrient status in order for people to be able to have their body work efficiently. I definitely want to get to the nutrients, but on, on these specific food recommendations, when you meet with that client for the first time, do you ask them to fill out a food log? Do you just, just question them about their diet? How do you discover 
where they're currently at. Yeah, so our intake form is, I think it's 27 pages now. Wow. (laughs) I know. And the thing is, okay, it's a lot of pages, but the people that really need us love filling out the form. Like if they really want to work with us, they're like, oh my gosh, this was so helpful. Like I have insight that I didn't have before from filling out all of your paperwork. Yeah. Yeah, They're totally into it. And if someone sees the paperwork and they're like, I'm not filling this house too long, then we're like, okay, well you're not like, you know, you need to go we say a different dietitian might be a better fit for you because they're just not. (laughs) There's a question I've been dying to ask. I can ask both of you. All right. Um, How honest do you think your clients are when they fill out those forms? This is what I was going to ask Jenny. Like when you're getting, when they fill out those 27 pages and then you meet with them, this is what I would see in practice too. It's like, okay, their diet looks pretty good. And then you start talking to them, you start asking questions and I say, okay, what, tell me, you know, let's break down yesterday. Like, can you tell me what you ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And then they get to dinner. Oh, well, well, I just went out to dinner and, you know, I just had this cake and then I had this and it's like, but that was just that one time. And so when you really get to like speak with the patient or the client and like, you know, dig further and see what they are typically eating, sometimes it matches and sometimes it doesn't, but that's, you know, at least they can write it down first. And when you meet with them, you can always, you know, dig a little bit deeper and see what they're doing, you know, routinely and what they're typically eating. What do you think, Jenny? Yeah, I think it's interesting, like, you know, having the paperwork first and then having a further discussion, like you do get more insight and, you know, they might've thought of something to add, but I don't think that anyone is going to fill out 27 pages of paperwork and not tell you the truth because it's a whole lot of time to like yeah. really not get the most. I mean, we can't help you if you're not going to tell us the truth. So like, so, yeah, so yeah. maybe it's the Hawthorne effect. Just, just filling out the paperwork, you know, you're being watched. Maybe that exercise in and of itself, like you mentioned, might be kickstarting someone's journey into yeah. weight loss. Okay. A follow-up question. I also been dying to ask. I've never had a dietitian over for dinner, but I imagine <laughs> if I did, I would clean my pantry of all the bad stuff. I would go to the fridge. I would get out the cookbook on, on the whole foods and I would, would probably serve you a very nutritious, if not somewhat lacking in, in flavor meal. Do, do you have that challenge when you go over to a friend's house and, you know, they, do they think of you as dietitian or do they just think of you as a friend and you don't have that issue? Well, I mean, the only thing about having me over for dinner is that, like, my family doesn't eat gluten. So I just have to kind of be like, can you make sure it's gluten-free? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got the, I'm vegan, so is my sick. wife. So it's like the same challenge. <laughs> it's like, oh, we'll bring over food if it's easier for you. Yeah, that's the yeah. only th- other than that. I don't. I mean, I don't care. We're not. I mean, we're dietitians. We're not. Oh, well, I know you don't care, but humans, do people care? Right? I'm wondering about the other side of the equation. Do we're people not, get I don't. But that makes me very right? <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of like having a clergy over to the house. You know, you, just, you clean things up. You make things right. look food, more please. presentable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jenny, you mentioned um, micronutrients, so. I want to dive into this a little bit and talk about your view on what micronutrients are most important to look at if someone is trying to lose weight. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the body is so synergistic. So it's like, 
it's not like one nutrient's going to ever be the end all be all because they all work together. Um, but when I think of like weight loss, I think of, um, blood sugar control. Right. And, um, I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you guys. Like that is like the first thing that we think of. Um, and then I think of magnesium, right? Because that has to be there for insulin to get into the cell. And because everyone is usually deficient in magnesium, whether they know it or not, the RBC magnesium, they do, um, like when you go to the doctor's office, everyone has magnesium checked. That's not really a, a good indication of how much is actually inside of the cell. Um, so a lot of times people are like, oh, you know, my doctor checked my magnesium and it's fine. And we're like, well, no, that's really not kind of the form or the place that we're looking for it to be. Um, and a lot of people do feel better with magnesium supplementation. And because we're usually low in it, it's hard to overdo. Um, so that's usually a pretty safe thing if, like, you wanted to just try something to help with blood sugar. Um, that's okay, big one. Big question there with magnesium, yeah. though. I just went to Vitamin Shop. And I uh, found myself at the wall of magnesium. Right. And there's magnesium glycinate, magnesium threonate, um, all all sorts of magnesiums. And I yeah. was standing there, and the 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 guy from Vitamin Shop just kind of standing next to me, staring at this big wall. And I know he doesn't really know the difference between. I mean, he's got what they've probably given him on like some sales sheets as to what you should be buying and taking. Is there a specific type of magnesium that we should be looking for? Yeah. So what at our clinic, we are really big on the um, glycinate or bisglycinate um, because that's the most well-absorbed. Um, oh, good. Some, some magnesiums them, can cause stomach problems, right? If yeah, you take right? too much, they can be yeah, laxative. They can have, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, you take too much. Like, I feel like that might be like the only symptom of overtaking, you know, taking too much magnesium is um, you know, those GI issues, but like, that was like the first thing that I learned when I like got into integrative and functional medicine, like really looking at how deficient we are in magnesium when everyone was focusing so much like on calcium, you know, and it was just like, magnesium was like, no one really talked about it. We didn't talk about supplementing or like testing the right, you know, the right thing to see if we were deficient, which most of us are. Um, and so, yeah, like, I love that. And I just had a follow-up question for you, like, as far as, um, you know, like, these nutrients, like, what would you say to someone, like, who's coming in and they're seeing you and, you know, or, like, what would you say even about, like, our standard American diet and, like, how we're so deficient in these nutrients um, if someone's eating a healthy diet and you're testing them and you're seeing that they're deficient? Yeah, so, like, how do you how do you explain why they're deficient yeah. even though they're, like, eating a healthy diet? Like, how is that, how is that happening? Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of things that could be going on with that. So, um, first of all, you know, our farming practices are not great. We've kind of over farmed and our soil doesn't have the nutrients in it that it used to. Um, so you might think about selenium there, right. And thyroid health, um, that could definitely like have a correlation, it's just that, like, the nutrients you're supposed to be getting from food might not be in it because our farming practices aren't great. Um, also, we look at digestive health, right? Um, are you absorbing your nutrients? Because if you're having GI issues, um, you might not be. So just because you're eating something doesn't mean you're absorbing it. And then what's really interesting is um, back to the micronutrient status, like, sometimes when 
you're metabolizing a nutrient, there's cofactors involved. So think back to the Krebs cycle. Um, and you need certain nutrients on board to push through so that the body can convert and make other nutrients. And um, if they're not present, then you're going to end up with deficiencies or overabundances of certain things because the cycles aren't running efficiently. So there could be a whole host of things going on. Um, we rec- always recommend like a, uh, a good multivitamin just for insurance, like even if you are eating a healthy diet, just because of all of the above, um, having a multivitamin on board just on a regular basis as a really good way to kind of counteract that and to just fill in any gaps because of, you know, dietary preferences or, um, farming practices or, you know, GI bugs, what have you, just to have that extra insurance on board can be really helpful. Excellent. So beyond magnesium, some other nutrients, you mentioned selenium, which I think Brazil nuts, right? That's a good source of selenium. So there are some natural foods you could supplement with as well, not just supplements to get some of those missing minerals that aren't in our soil anymore. Are there other nutrients that you you look for? Um, Gosh, yeah, there's so many. Um, Zinc is involved with um, insulin production and, um, you know, there's a lot to... um, With glutathione, that's a major antioxidant. Um, So supplementing with that can be helpful with blood sugar regulation. Um, Biotin helps to um, stimulate B cells. Um, Inositol and chromium are two big ones. Um, And helping with blood sugar regulation. And chromium is something that I really prefer to have um, test results on before recommending, just because it's a pretty potent um, little mineral. Um, Inositol, too. Um, So it's kind of, I mean, it's individualized, but those are some of the big ones that we see when we're looking at blood sugar control and nutrient deficiencies. Okay. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned blood sugar control. Wonder what your tips are. Let's say someone comes in and they've got a sweet tooth. This is me, actually. I'm asking okay. for me. Right. Um, what do you recommend? Because I, I, I don't know. I was trained as a kid that um, I couldn't go to sleep unless I had dessert. So, like, <laughs> I still like have that. I'm carrying that with me to this day, and I have to have something sweet. What's your viewpoint as a dietitian? What would you say to one of your clients with that in that position? Yeah. So is it like a comfort thing, like something you grew up doing? So it's like something you want to continue doing? Like, Yeah, I guess it is. It is somewhat comfort, but maybe so ingrained in my my behavior that it's a tough one to, to break. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're hungry? Like, are you actually hungry? Mm. I would say not, because if you were to, you know, give me the option of having a piece of cheesecake, vegan, of course, and an enchilada, I would say, well, no, the cheesecake or nothing. So I must not be hungry because I'm not asking for the enchilada. Yeah. So I guess I would dig into, like, the thought process, what it is that you're looking for from having the, the dessert. Okay. What am I looking for? I don't know. It's it's hard to untangle at this point. I think this is the same for a lot of our members and, and 
our listeners, a lot of them are Cygnos members, is you, you've, you've grown up this way. You always have dessert after dinner. And unraveling that and kind of getting to the root desire for having that, that sweet thing. Checking um, in emotional hunger, you know, for yeah. it's routine or, you know, it's tradition or like we're bored or just habit. Or is it like physical hunger? You know, is your stomach growling? Like, are you hungry after that meal? Or was yeah. it a treat? Like, do you need it? Do you feel like you like need something special for like, because it's yeah, the end of the day? I think that's it. And so the way I've tried to cure myself of this is I've just gone to our local um, little grocery store and gotten all sorts of fruits. And so trying all sorts of different fruits, like they have mangosteens, which I've never had before, like having that as a treat versus um, something with added sugar or, you know, just getting something really good, like some, some Hawaiian papaya and putting lime juice on it as a step that's, you know, maybe I don't want that much sugar at night, but it's at least better than having a piece of cake, right? Or... You could change just, you know, maybe not give the piece of cake such, maybe not put it on a pedestal, maybe have it with dinner as part of your meal and, you know, just let the cake be cake. Like maybe you're just giving it too much credit. Yeah, maybe I am just, I'm elevating that cake to a nice cake stand pedestal. Yeah, just put it on your plate with everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Eat it with some protein, right? Yeah, you know, that's such a great point. And this is something that um, I discovered with my wife and the way she eats food. She also will have dessert, but she likes to digest her meal and then have dessert. And since I have Cygnos and I look at my my glucose graph, I know that causes a double spike, a spike from dinner uh, if I wasn't careful in terms of what I was eating, and then another whole spike from the dessert. But if I were to eat it with the dinner, you know, like right after, yeah. then the combination of greens and, and proteins and fats probably would blunt that spike and not have the impact that it has eating it like an hour after after dinner. Yeah. Yeah, I experienced that. And I think we may have talked about this on one of the podcasts before, but I think I was doing a similar thing. You know, after I would put the kids to bed, I had a long day. I would, like, put these fruits, you know, I would get a huge bowl of cherries and, like, get in bed and eat those. And I would notice a huge spike. And I'm like, okay, wow, this is, you know, I'd have a big spike, high readings overnight, higher fasting level the next morning. Um, So what I did was, like, okay, let me take, like, an actual, you know, smaller serving size, put it with my meal, with dinner, because I too have to have something sweet, whether it's the cherries, the dark chocolate, but just having that with dinner and not putting it on a pedestal. And, you know, I noticed stable blood sugar, you know, versus having, you know, a little bit of a spike and then a huge spike overnight, you know, and it just, now it's, you know, I don't need that big bowl. You know, I enjoy a little bit with my dinner and I, I just move on. So. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I guess I was maybe looking for a little bit of uh, acknowledgement of eating the fruit instead of the dessert. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just looking for that dietitian support. You're not getting here. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> but, but again, thank you. Just fishing for a compliment here. But I want to know your opinion. Um, honestly, if someone's going to um, 
switch from a dessert to to eating fruit. Is that something that you recommend as a dietitian? Would you recommend with some caveat? Um, I just really think it's important to always have a, and you guys know this because this is what you do, but um, always having like a protein on board, whether it's dessert or fruit. Um, you know, our, we say no naked carbs, right? Always yeah. have those carbs with protein or a healthy fat or even, even both. So, um, and that's for blood sugar control. So that's why we recommend that. And it could be really helpful just to kind of keep blood sugar more stable. Yeah, totally agree. No naked carbs. So let's see, you, uh, you agree with that? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we asked this question of Dr. Richard Johnson on a a podcast a while ago. He's a nephrologist, but he wrote this great book about uh, fructose. And he's, he said, I would never discourage someone from eating fruit, but don't eat a fruit. Like you're a bear about to go into hibernation was like his suggestion that, uh, and I'm guilty of this. I'll go for the fruit. And even if I did have, um, some protein on board first, I feel like fruit gives me a free pass. I can eat as much as I possibly can, and there's there's no downside because it's fruit, right? It's supposed to be getting all these servings of fruits and vegetables, so um, there's no limit. And maybe there should be because, uh, as we discussed with Johnson, fruit fructose can be a trigger that um, leads to weight gain. Do you yeah. both agree? Yeah, I would say a f- like free foods would be like non-starchy vegetables if you wanted a free a thing to eat freely. Well, that's no that's fun. Right. I know. <laughs> yeah. More veggies, fewer fruit. You yes. know, okay, Let's more veggies, fewer fruit. Three to one ratio. Like if you're getting enough vegetables in, then like have your fruits. But again, it's not you know free for all where you can just go crazy on the fruits because even like Jenny was mentioning with the soil and the farming practices, like the fruits today are much sweeter. Um, you know, even wearing CG, I'm noticing like a much bigger spike to certain fruits, um, always pairing it, no naked carbs, pairing it with, um, you know, protein, healthy fats if possible. But yeah, like free for all are the non, are the non-starchy vegetables though. You can have as many as you want. <laughs> yeah. This, this podcast has been a bit of a downer for me because now <laughs> I've, I've discovered that travel is not a free pass for me to eat anything. Uh, and Yeah. <laughs> I really probably should go for the non-starchy vegetables, but I'm actually learning to love those non-starchy vegetables sautéed the right way. Yeah. Okay, great. You mentioned food sensitivity, Jenny. I want to like talk about this a little bit. Um, Is this something when you, when you have clients that come to see you and they're having some GI issues, do you run a food sensitivity test typically? to start to figure out what the issue might be? How do you approach that person that just maybe is having like IBS symptoms or just some general GI discomfort? Yeah. So we kind of have a layered approach depending on, you know, how the person's starting out and what their medical history is. Um, you know, kind of step one for anyone could be cleaning up the diet, right? Um, right. So back to that whole foods, eating on the perimeter of the grocery store instead of the shelves in between, right? Yeah. Um, And then we look at, well, okay, if they're having GI issues, what are the easy things to target? And, you know, what are common problems for people? And that's usually gluten, dairy, sugar, right? So we might have them eliminate those. Sometimes people want to go right into testing. Um, So if they just want to jump into testing, we'll do it. If not, then we might layer it in if that 
gluten, dairy, sugar-free approach doesn't work, and we think there's more that needs to be looked at. Um, and then let's say we run a food sensitivity test and they're still not feeling well. Well, then you might want to do a stool test and a SIBO test. Um, SIBO, have you guys talked about that at all? Do you know what that is? We have not talked about it on the podcast. Cool. Okay. Um, Alyssa, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, but it's, so it's an overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine and holy cow, it's a whole podcast in itself. Um, it's, <laughs> it's not like a, a really new thing, but it's, there's a lot of new research coming out and a lot of, um, nuances with it, but it's a really common culprit. Um, and I would say probably the underlying cause of most people who have IBS would be SIBO. Um, anytime there's bloating, we want to look if there's SIBO. Um, so we're really kind of ruling that out a lot. And then a stool test can tell us a lot of things too. That's a separate test where you actually have to collect your stool, um, and you ship it to a lab and, um, they look for any sort of like insufficiencies in digestive function. Um, so looking specifically at the breakdown of carbs, fats, proteins, um, it's looking for, um, probiotic status. So what does your microbiome look like? It's looking at prebiotic status. You have enough um, prebiotics. They feed probiotics. So we need to keep the probiotics fed and happy. So that's really important. Um, And then we look for parasites and um, we're looking at um, any overgrowth of bad bacteria in the gut as well. Um, so that's a pretty comprehensive workup. Like if someone is still not feeling well after all those approaches, we usually like to do a stool test. Um, and then we'll follow up usually with a micronutrient test if someone's having malabsorption issues or GI issues, just because they're probably low and they probably do need some really targeted supplementation in addition to like some really specific dietary, um, changes too. So that's kind of how we layer in our our process, and that's what drives our recommendations in terms of diet and testing and supplement. It's, it's all really personalized. Got it. I, I wonder how social media has influenced people to maybe come into your office and say, I've got a food intolerance or a food sensitivity. So I just want to jump to that because I saw this ad for this food sensitivity test. So I want to just throw everything at this problem with tests versus the elimination of, of sugar and gluten and dairy. Yeah. Um, so sometimes people feel so bad and, and they do see stuff on TikTok and Instagram and whatever. And they're like, give me all the tests. And we're like, okay. <laughs> I mean, there's no harm in taking them really. Um, and if we yeah, feel like it's dollars, appropriate, right? we're going to look at their, um, you know, their medical history and really talk with them. Our first appointment when we go over the 27 pages of paperwork is an hour and a half. So by the time we're done with that, we really know them and we really know what they need. And if they're all in for all the testing and we feel like it's a good idea, it's kind of like, I want answers fast. Like just, you know, they want to do it. We're going to let them do it. Um, it can be helpful too. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but we have so many people coming in. We were talking about this on Wednesday in our team meeting who are coming in with concerns and questions and, and quoting TikTok now. It's kind of funny. Like, <laughs> That's so scary. 
Yeah, it's, uh, I'm glad they have us. <laughs> yeah, because yes. I find that some, like, you know, it's common not even to know the difference between a food allergy or a food sensitivity or intolerance, you know, just even yeah. like breaking down the basics. Like, you know, we may not even, may have some listeners that may not even know what SIBO is, you know, what that stands for. So can you give us like a quick breakdown or a quick, uh, of the oh, what's the difference between food intolerance, yeah. allergy, and, and sensitivity? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, food allergy is like um, we think of an immediate reaction to something, and a lot of people just go straight to anaphylaxis. Right? That's like the the worst case scenario. Um, they usually happen right away, and um, you can be allergic to anything. Um, and you usually think about, um, kind of symptoms, uh, rashes, anaphylaxis, um, you know, things like that with a food allergy, um, and tolerances are a little bit different. So that's, um, if someone isn't able to digest something properly and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, but the big thing with that is that the only issue you'll have with an intolerance is a GI symptom. So it could be gas, bloating, diarrhea, some combination of all of that. Um, but an intolerance is going to be a GI symptom and it's usually going to happen two hours after you eat the food. Okay. So food sensitivity is anywhere from right away. You're not going to feel well, um, to up to three days later. Right. So it's immediate to 36 hours later. So it's hard to tell. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. And the symptoms can be anything, um, but it's not, it's never going to be like a life threatening thing like anaphylaxis. Um, So, like a food sensitivity, um, let's say, I mean, so I guess just the easiest way to explain how, how we keep track and help people figure this out is first of all, we run a test. So they're on a very controlled diet. Um, and they're, when they start feeling better on that diet, which usually takes about two weeks, then we start adding in new foods and we're doing it one new food per day. Um, and if it's someone who's like super sensitive or like some of our migraine clients where they're really sensitive and tend to have delayed reactions, we'll have them add in one new food every three days, just so we have that three day window to catch the problem. And then if you can identify it, you know, just to keep it out of their diet, longer before you try adding it back in. Um, so yeah, that's kind of tricky catching those, like without a good food sensitivity test, you could, I mean, there's just so much you could miss, right. That, that test is really helpful for. And the thing that like really surprises me is, you know, the symptoms of food sensitivity are not just the GI, you know, can, it could be maybe skin issues. Like you were talking about with like psoriasis or, um, I don't know. Can you Acid reflux. Well, I mean, I guess that's GI. But yeah, um, eczema, headaches, joint pain, fatigue, um, autoimmune issues. You think about food sensitivities a lot too. Um, not that they're like the underlying cause, but kind of sorting those out can really help with some of the symptoms. Awesome. You mentioned TikTok. We wanted to end this episode with a special quick fire Things that Alyssa and I have seen on social media, and we're going to ask Jenny to give us the verbal thumbs up, thumbs down, and some we can elaborate on some of these if you, you if you'd like. 
So I went on, I, I'm not, I'm too old for TikTok. I went on Instagram. I think my age group is allowed on Instagram now. Um, <laughs> and I saw, when I typed in weight loss under tags, I saw these ads for magnetic weight loss earrings. Jenny, thumbs up, Ooh. thumbs down. Oh, thumbs down. <laughs> but I would really like to know what the, the thought process is. The thought I process. I've heard of them. It sent me down a rabbit hole, and the thought process is actually acupressure. And I guess uh, some Eastern medicine uh, thoughts about pressure on the earlobes reducing hunger. Okay. Alyssa, you go. Okay. Next one, juice cleanses. Oh, I would say thumbs down. I think I'm on that one. Yeah. I'm going to go with a specific brand on this one that just popped up. And it's been popping up just um, organically in my feed for some reason. The colon broom. Oh, thumbs down. <laughs> I actually researched colon broom, and you know what it is? It's just psyllium husks. Oh, that's Marked fine. up yeah. like five times. All right, yes. Go ahead. Well, you may not want to use it for weight loss, though, right? I mean, if you've no, got problems constipation. Yeah, but it's but, not as a, a, gosh, I don't know. I feel like they should use a different term. <laughs> term. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. your turn. How about keto pills? Oh, or no. Just keto in general. Um, I don't know. I don't feel like I have a huge problem with keto. I don't think I would feel very good on it. Um, but I know some people do. You know, things need to be so individualized. I really, it takes a lot for me to just completely dismiss something. Um, except for the earrings. Except for those <laughs> earrings and that colon broom. I mean, just rename it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> I took the best ones for myself. Yeah, those I, are I good. Apologize. You, you got uh, how about how about do it yourself at home food sensitivity tests? Mm, I'm pretty snobby when it comes to food sensitivity tests. We have such good technology with the MRT. Um, I mean, gosh, I just I can't talk enough about it. Not like I don't. I mean, we use the test in practice, but that's it. Um, like I'm not really affiliated with them other than that. But like. I mean, we've been doing the test. I probably started ordering it myself in 2013, so almost 10 years. And we just get the best results. I mean, there's, you know, a handful of people who needed more work done after food sensitivity testing and doing the diet. And that's fine because there are things that underlie food sensitivity testing. But, like, with the MRT, we just really, like, we get such good results. I don't even want to look around sometimes. Um so it's really about the technology behind the test. A lot of times um, you can pick up things that you've been eating often on a food sensitivity test and they'll flag as sensitive where really they're just more in your system because you've been consuming them. So really, really, really dig into how they're determining those sensitivities, how long the test has been around, what the research looks like for the test, who sponsored the research on the test. I mean, there's a, a lot to think about. I'm going to go out on a limb and say if you have the choice between social media to lose weight or visiting a dietitian, go visit the dietitian. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great thumbs up. Jenny, it's such a pleasure having you on the show. If people want to find out more about you, uh, is there a place they can go? Yeah. Um, they can go to our website. It's um, digestiontherapy.com. 
Excellent. I just wrote myself a note to have you on for everything SIBO, maybe a follow-up episode. We hope to talk to you again. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Body Signals. We hope you enjoyed this show. Please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe to Body Signals on your favorite podcast platform. We have a special offer for Body Signal listeners, a 20% discount on Signos. Just go to Signos.com, pick out your plan, and get a CGM in the mail to connect your body in a whole new way. During checkout, you can use the code BODYSIGNALS, that's one word, no spaces, body signals to get your discount. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.